Welcome to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, sponsored by Fortinet. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts from a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. My guests on the panel were Amira Boland, who's on detail to the Office of Management and Budget to coordinate the implementation of the Customer Experience Cross-Agency Priority Goal and the GEAR Center. Anna Marie Tannen, the Executive Director of the George Washington University Innovation Center. Jim Thompson, the Director of Private Sector Engagement at the State Department. And Dan Woolley, the Founder and Managing Partner of Ponderosa Management Group. First, we hear from Anna Marie of George Washington University, then Amira Boland of OMB, and then Jim Thompson from the State Department. I started the Innovation Center for the whole university to collaborate and bring people together who are usually don't talk to each other. We have 10 different schools, rarely see people actually being together or reaching out outside of the school, even though we are five blocks from the White House, two blocks from the World Bank. And Judy, actually, I have to say Judy and Liv, they reached out to me and that's how I am here and I'm really eager to talk more, more about what we're doing with the government and the public sector. So, so give me, just give me a quick, when we talk about innovation, we talk about what the work you're doing, one of the focus areas is partnerships. So just give me the, the two or three minutes on, on how you guys are looking at both internal and external partnerships to really drive that innovation. So our partnership is driven for social good how we could make a difference in our local life for others, and how we could actually scale that globally. So one of the examples, Erica, Dr. Erica Burton and Konstantin Miritz, who are my teammates sitting here, so I recommend to talk to them later. We created a course for social impact innovation. What we do, we reach out to the government and ask them, what is your biggest problem? How can we help you? So I'll give you a couple of examples. One big problem in DC, homelessness and cancer. How is this connected? What can we do better to have less homeless people because they are terminally ill and they're losing their apartments because they don't have enough money to pay the rent? So we did a very quick research. It was one semester. We had six team of five from five different schools, undergraduates and graduates working together came up with looking at and observing the existing system using human-centered design and using design thinking. And they were, one of the team came up with an idea, hey guys, you have a loophole here, you are not connecting two departments. If you would connect those two directly, you would save $5.7 million annually. That was a quick one semester kind of innovation for the government. We do a lot like this, like teen pregnancy in District 7 and 8, we were focusing on scooters and bikes uh, in DC. Should we get it? We shouldn't. Why? Why not? What are the you know the goods? What we can make with that? So I can talk about this more. But so the one quick follow-up question I'll offer is when you talk about that making that connection between the two departments, did they make the connection? No, we did that. So the students make the connection. They introduced each other through the students. So the students were basically the drivers. And many times you see that. You know, you, even though you want the same thing, you guys are, don't talk, and someone needs to come in to moderate. And it, it happens a lot, and it's very fun when you see that connection made and they just going on on their own. All right. Amira Boland from OMB. So I'm here today because of a project that we're working on right now called the Government Effectiveness Advanced Research Center, or GEAR Center. And this is really exciting for us because, as Jason mentioned, there's all of this energy around tackling problems that the government has 
faced in science, technology, and defense. And something less sexy and less urgent, but equally important, is you know, the, the challenges that we're facing in the management realm. So we have this amazing American innovation system that connects federal labs and um, federal agencies and the private sector and academia and research worlds and nonprofits. But there's less energy around solving the problems around our public sector workforce or how the federal government connects with citizens and the public or how we adopt technology into our business processes. And so um, the Gear Center can serve as this convening mechanism. Um, and so we're working to design that now and have a competition. So talk a little bit about the, the partnership issue, because one of the interesting things about the Gear Center, if you're, are you guys familiar with the Gear Center? Raise a hand. Most people, all right, That's a couple awesome. people, all right. So the goal is a public-private partnership to connect, if you will, it could be private sector, it could be mm -hmm. academic, it could be anybody, yeah. to bring those ideas, those innovations to the government. And especially around like back office systems, or as uh, Mira said, uh, federal workforce, reskilling, upskilling. So maybe talk a little bit about that partnership issue, because one of the keys is if the government can't do it on its own anymore, and I think that that's really the push from the Gear Center to, to bring people together with good ideas and then apply them to the government. I'll actually use an example from, I'm on a detail to OMB right now from GSA, where I'm on a team called the Office of Evaluation Sciences. And um, we work with, we're a team of behavioral economists and social psychologists that work to design behavioral interventions and federal programs to improve implementation and then use, whenever possible, a randomized controlled trial to test whether or not that intervention had a causal impact on an outcome that you care about. And so one of the projects we were looking at was that we noticed that in federal government, people are often promoted to management positions, not necessarily because they're an amazing manager, but because they have amazing technical expertise. And that's also very similar in the tech world. And so Google had actually noticed this because people were getting promoted there because of an amazing product development or they were an amazing engineer. Um, and they needed to lead an engineering team. And so they realized that they needed to double down on how they were doing their training of their managers and what elements made the best managers in, a, in kind of a lightweight but effective way. And so we were looking at a pro project that they had called Project Oxygen, and we wanted to apply that for federal managers. And it was really difficult because we had this team at Google that was really excited about sharing what they had learned, and we had this team in government that really wanted to to use what they had learned and maybe adapt it. And it was, it was hard for us to work together. And so a, a gear center could be a sort of neutral convening mechanism for us and government to toss you know, our priorities to it. And then they can help convene the right, the right players. We ended up ultimately getting to do it, but we had to go based on exclusively what was available publicly. Emory, jump in. Uh, just one thing that we recognize many times, people speak English on a different language. I mean, if I talk to, for example, an artist, and I'm coming up with the lingo of engineering, they don't understand us, we actually recognize this in our class. So in the first six weeks, and it takes every time six weeks, people don't talk the same language and they are frustrated. And it takes six weeks to learn each other language and languages and talk and communicate and have the same channels, same language, same understanding. So I think it's the same with the government, private, public sector. You have to learn your each other's languages and start communicating effectively. Mm -hmm. Especially if you come to acronyms. If you don't know your acronyms, we always joked about having an acronym uh, dictionary, but can never keep up. Jim Thompson from uh, State. I'm the Director of Innovation in the Office of Global Partnerships, so the part of the Secretary of State's office. So I do partnerships as well as innovation. 
And I've been at this now for about 14 years. Uh, have led the work at USAID and pioneered it at the Department of State. Worked at the uh, White House and the National Security Council and promulgated a, a best practices guide in building public-private partnerships. So. I've been at this for a while and I've seen the, the lexicon issues that we have between private sector and public sector. I'll tell one quick story on that. We had a partnership that we were doing at USAID with Chevron, and AID loves acronyms, like every government agency. So they were talking about their strategic objectives, which they kept referring to as their SOs. So we were partnering with Chevron in Angola to do food security work in Angola following the, the end of the war. And we kept talking about our ESSOs. Well, ESSO is the name of Exxon, which is Chevron's competitor. And we kept talking about our ESSOs and our work with ESSOs. And, and they were like, why are you talking about our competitors? So lexicon matters. And you really have to make sure that you're all on the same page of what you're talking about. Our work at the State Department, and I'm not really going to talk about states specifically, but one of the things that we're doing is trying to bring people together. So we are very much a convening organization within the State Department. We promote things like prizes, challenges, competitions. Last year I talked to you a little bit about the hackathon that we ran uh, called Fish Hackathon. No fish were harmed in the hackathon, don't, don't be alarmed. Um, but one of the things that we've realized is that we can bring people together and, and make them go through some design learning uh, and come out the other end with some really tangible products. So we established a partnership accelerator that we call Boldline. Um, it's a bit of a boot camp. Uh, where we bring private sector together with public sector and we try to build new partnerships. So one of the original bold lines that we ran, this partnership accelerator, brought in companies like Facebook, Johnson & Johnson, and Deloitte with their ideas. They came to us with their ideas about things that they wanted to do that could be a public-private partnership. Facebook had come to us with an idea around e-sports. So someone mentioned e-sports earlier. <laughs> We actually loved this idea. So Facebook said, look, there's a huge uh, black space um, you know, where e-sports e is taking off all over the world, but there's places in the world where people don't know it or don't have the technology. And we really want to build a learning academy to train people on this. And we said, wow, that sounds like jobs. That sounds like economic opportunity. That sounds like something we would be wanting to do ourselves. So. Facebook ran into some issues this past year. You may have seen some of those uh, issues. Uh, so they've kind of pulled back from the project, but we ran ahead with it. Um, we actually did it on our own, and we established our own e-gaming program in the Middle East, and we're looking to expand it. So just one of the things that we love to take in ideas from the private sector, uh, because some of the best innovation that we see out there is not going to come from government. It's going to come from outside government. So we need to figure out a way to bring government, to be open government, and to allow ideas to come in. The one thing that occurs to me as you're going through this is how do you pick your partners? Because you've been doing this now, I think you said 14 years. 14 years. The, the technology companies have changed. The technologies obviously have changed. But it's easy to say, well, we want to work with big company X. But sometimes it's the, the small company or the medium company that actually provides that innovation. Maybe just talk briefly about that partnership piece. One of the things that we love to do is bring in new companies and new ideas uh, from the small startups. So this past December, uh, we ran a partnership accelerator focused on countering propaganda abroad. Uh, we're the State Department, we do abroad. Um, so uh, we put out a call on challenge.gov and then we marketed it heavily. We actually worked with ACT-IAC to help us find some mentors. And we brought in nine great uh, technology startups, for the most part, to 
uh, work together to see if their small technology innovations could be used in a platform that we have developed to counter propaganda abroad. So all nine, I believe, were accepted into our test bed. Um, this is through our Global Engagement Center at the State Department, uh, so that they could be then utilized as we have issues come up abroad on propaganda. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller, and today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. My guests on the panel were Amira Boland, who is on detail to OMB to coordinate the implementation of the Customer Experience Cross-Agency Priority Goal and the Gear Center. Anna-Marie Tannen, the Executive Director of the George Washington University Innovation Center. Jim Thompson, the Director of Private Sector Engagement at the State Department. And Dan Woolley, the founder and managing partner of the Ponderosa Management Group. In this part of the show, we first hear from Dan Woolley. I'm coming from the industry side of the house. Many years ago, I acquired technology for the Air Force on a global basis. And then I went into the commercial sector and ran such things as all of Dell's global strategic alliances. And for the last six years, I've been involved with investing in next generation technologies. With my cohort in crime out there, Dave Erie from CIT, we learned some very interesting things in this area of innovation. And, and for those of you that are familiar with the technology model called crossing the chasm, one of the things we think about very hard in this innovation within government is government technically or, or usually thinks about mission. Commercial thinks about scaling and revenue. There is a chasm that exists between the two. Entrepreneurial ideas come out of that center section. And how do you get money that moves to that area that sustains an early stage, cool technology that will interest an investor on the backside that will then end up in a commercial entity to which the government can buy commercial product? That is a very, very hard job, and there are very few people doing it. Dave has been doing it at CIT. I was involved with the INOVA Personal Accelerator. I sit on the, on the deriving board there. I also sit on the board for Smart Cities and we're looking at technology. We're not solving specific problems, but the question we ask to the government or the government asks of us is, and I'll use one example, man, we have a really, really big problem with our first responders. When they get on site, they do not have the tactical information necessary for them to respond immediately to the problem. This is a real world problem. And so they came to the, the intermediary group and they said, can you help us find some companies and technologies that are addressing this problem? We went out with a call for innovation. We came up with several of them. And one of them that we were involved with, and Dave has been involved with, the DHS specifically, is a company that looked at the issue and said, simplistically, what is the common thread that exists in every single building out any place? You know what it is? It's exit signs. And this little company makes really cool sensor packages. They can look at gas, they can look at alarms, they can look at sound, they have a little camera. And guess what? It can sit right inside the side here. And there's power there. And every organization out here has Wi-Fi. And they said, what if we could put this little piece of technology in every one of these manufacturers that sell signs? Now, if you're an investor, you're looking out there and going, wow, I found an opportunity on scaling 
It's a government mission. We put together the pieces. This company now is being awarded contracts. They're currently rolling the product up, and they're bringing it to market. The issue is you had to have that intermediary in the middle to help move money to that seed company so that it had enough money to actually get a proof of concept, to actually get an MVP that an outside investor will say, I think I'm willing to put a half a million or a million into, or five million into. And that's the way you bring innovation. It's a very, very hard, cool job, but for the government entities that are trying to solve really real world problems, they don't have a mechanism to go from their agency to, let's say it's Microsoft or CA or SAP or Oracle. Those guys are going to say, go do your thing, government. Find that hole in the middle. And that's what I do. And I've been doing this for nearly 40 years. So, so I want to, Anne-Marie wants to jump in, but real quick. So when you talk about that hole in the middle, is that why we got things like GPS, why we got lithium-ion batteries? Because somebody found that hole in the middle. Well, and to GPS, when I was a young second lieutenant, we were putting the first three birds in the air. And we were literally going out there, and if you've ever seen the original roll-ups on GPS, they were 70-pound man packs that went on the back of guys' backs. Mm -hmm. And when Colonel Henderson said, I need to put three birds up there, and I need to put them in geosynchronous orbit, and we're going to have to wait to certain points in time, but I think if we put 24 of those suckers up with a secondary radius around the top, I can provide real-world access within the size of the ground. Those are the types of innovation that come out of there. And, and you have to think about the problem. The problem was, how do I know where I am any place in the world at any point in time in any weather condition so I can get people where they have to go, I can deliver packages, and I can deliver the government issue, but I take it from there. But that's, it's a good example. Anne-Marie. So just jumping in, I think we're doing a lot of that of hackathons, but not the traditional hackathons. We have, and Constantin does it really well for health innovation access uh, for everyone on a low cost. And what we do, we're looking for industry partners, government partners, come to us, like the VA. What is your biggest problem you can't solve, but a lot of your veterans are facing this issue? Bring those to us, and we bring in all discipline from all schools, and also alumni to GW, and talk about it for 36 hours, and come up five, six different projects which could be rolled out either for a startup, a good idea for a startup, and you know, let's prototype and prototype, and then take it to the government or take it to the private sector and innovate on that. But it's a very good kind of ignition point for the government and the private sector to come into academia and tap into that, that brain, you know, what the sophomores and freshmen are bringing in, but we forgot how to innovate get out from the box and think outside of the box. So that's something that we do a lot. And actually, it's a great story. So we're going to want to go to audience questions soon, but I'm going to give everyone 30 seconds or less, if you can do it in that time. Talk about a barrier that you've overcome or an incentive that you use. I think, Emory, that's a great example of an incentive to the VA to go to them and say, we're going to bring a group of people together that help solve a big problem. So if you want to begin again or, or go to the side to Dan and Dan, pick up. I, I could jump into that one. Incentive the, the biggest single barrier, barrier, I'll give you 30 seconds. The biggest single barrier that we see is that government thinks of mission. You need to take that down to a business problem. People do not spend money on technology, flat out, in the commercial world. They will buy a product that solves a problem, okay? Give me your business problem in three seconds or less, okay? And if I can understand it, I can fund it, I can grow it, and I can pull the partners together for route to market, go to market. 
The problem, the biggest single problem is, on the government side, you don't think of it in terms of a business problem, you think of it as a mission problem, and that does not translate to the commercial side of the house. Big, big issue. All right, Jim? So I'm gonna take a little bit of a different stab at this. I'm gonna actually talk about the one barrier that I see in government. And again, it's not a State Department perspective, but one of the things that I, I struggle with is the fact that government has a hard time keeping up with industry. Um, and one thing that we're not doing is um, creating centers of innovation in government. There are a few, but if you look at like senior executive positions, if you look for a chief innovation officer, an executive director for innovation and collaboration, those positions are few and far between. Government is not actually creating these structures that private sector has. Um, you can walk across town here and Booz Allen has a gorgeous innovation lab. Uh, all these places have come up with really cool innovation spaces so that there is a place to go for innovation, for companies to, to figure out how to innovate or to create a Skunk Works uh, organization that can go off and create a Kindle. Um, government doesn't do that, and we, we really need to start to invest in that, and government needs to think differently about how we approach innovation internally. All right, so i got to jump in on this because the statistic I brought up was around FFRDCs, and I know that doesn't necessarily mean one-to-one -one for innovation, but the number of FFRDCs that are decreased over the years, is that an example maybe of what you're getting to, that, that there's this shift, a mind shift of, of innovation of, well, we, money's tighter, we have to spend more money on, on the mission side, and they're not, there's not this view of spending the time, the money, the resources, whatever it is. I'll Mira, just jump, sorry, I know it's your jump question, in, yeah. but I'll just say I think that like, it's amazing that there's groups at GW and other universities. There's no dearth of folks that are excited about government problems. They realize the potential of government data sets and the scale of the market and all of that. But if you're a program manager in government, going through, and this gets to your, your you know, problem of you don't know where to go, if you're managing the day-to-day -day me mechanics of a federal program, thinking about what it would take to actually be able to share your data or share, even just have a conversation with someone at a university, Understanding the legal mechanisms for that are so complex, and, and you mentioned the FFRDC, you know, it can feel like this overwhelming procurement process that you have to go through and you have to justify and do a whole market research, and, and rightfully so. The spirit of all those, those laws are, are, you know, with good intention, but it's just hard to know what to do or what mechanisms to, you know, and we actually have a lot. There's interpersonnel act agreement, there's um, co-sponsorship agreements, there's challenge-based acquisition, there's the America Competes Act, there's actually all of these amazing mechanisms that we can use, but people at managing programs just don't have the time to learn all of those, and there's very few people that can actually sit with you and help you think about what your problem is and say, okay, of these 18 options that are legally viable, this is the right path. And that's why we need we need people internally to be able to help translate that and be able to help them along. And that's, that's kind of what my office does at the State Department, but we're one of very few offices that even tries that. And this actually brings up now, this may be a loaded question, so you'll forgive me, but are we talking about, do we need a community of practice? Do we need a Center for Innovation from, from the OMB level or GSA? I mean, do we need a new playbook? Everyone has a playbook. Um, how do we get that message down to the program managers? So part of it comes in training, but really what I think you need is leadership. Sustained uh -oh. leadership. That's my buzzword. Not doing a culture change, I know. Buzz, buzz. But honestly, culture if, you change don't, too? if you don't have an office that is assigned that can create the policies yeah. and help you do that translation that she's talking about and help you figure out how to do your work differently, then you actually don't 
it won't happen. Where we've seen public-private partnerships spike is anywhere you have that has, someone is tagged with building public-private partnerships. So when their office stands up that does public-private partnerships or a person stands up and says, I'm doing the public-private partnerships, more partnerships happen. Innovation, mm -hmm. same thing. All right, last. We're going to go to audience questions in a second. So, Emory, you get the yeah. last word of the okay. uh, obstacles or barriers. Two things. Uh, I'm working with the Nordic governments, all five Nordic countries. Ten, now maybe 12 years ago, they opened up all of data in Sweden and Denmark publicly available for anyone to use and do whatever you want to do with that data set. That is something that we should do. I encourage everyone because a lot of innovation coming out from that. And I have to kind of side note, I never work for the government, so I really appreciate what you're doing because it was conscious not to work for them because this is one of the most frustrating jobs I can imagine in my life. I was a serial entrepreneur. I worked in academia. I worked for IBM, so I know how it is. But one of the things that I think we need to do more of getting people like me. I have six different backgrounds, and because of that, I I feel you, I work for the United Nations as a consultant because I couldn't work as someone who is fully employed because I couldn't, you know, the, the barriers, the problems that you have, I don't know how to face that. But one of the points on that, how could we potentially go under the radar and have those sort of not public partnership where we investigating? Just have a, you know, just some conversation. Just have a cup of coffee and talk about it, and maybe that's how it starts. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller, and today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. My guests on the panel were Amira Boland, who's on detail to OMB to coordinate the implementation of the Customer Experience Cross-Agency Priority Goal and the GEAR Center. Anna-Marie Tannen, the Executive Director of the George Washington University Innovation Center. Jim Thompson, the Director of Private Sector Engagement at the State Department. And Dan Woolley, the Founder and Managing Partner of the Ponderosa Management Group. In this part of the show, the panelists take audience questions. Good morning. This is MJ Mathai from Attainax, a small business. I was traveling to Kansas City um, about six, eight months back, and I found this bad element taking pictures of the airport at Washington, Dallas. I wanted to complain to somebody, uh, so I went to the counter, told somebody, I don't like this guy. He's the profile of this guy. That lady was so busy, she didn't do anything. So I was trying to call Washington, Dallas police. The trooper at D.C. picked the phone and said, I don't have anybody to send and, and check it out. Finally found a TSA agent and then told them exactly the profile of this individual and then um, told him that he got on a terminal A and all the good stuff. That led me to believe that I should do something for crowdsourcing for tracking terrorism. We built an app called um, ICU, see something, say something. And we went with Steve Cooper, the first CIO for DHS. Bill Pratt helped us uh, get into DHS and we presented this uh, cool idea of tracking uh, terrorist incidents and terrorist suspicious activities. And we got that um, prototype running. But it's an innovative product, uh, helps with uh, crowdsourcing for terrorism. We don't know what to go, where to go next because we went to DHS. They said, there is no revenue model for us on this one. And how do we offer this as a service? 
So we are stuck, and any, um, any advice would be helpful. Thank you. I know of, of several companies that are in the, I'll call it the gaming slash crowdsourcing mode that are kind of playing in their space. The key that you have to understand is who else besides DHS might be interested in buying that? And there is a larger community that sits within this, I'll call it the alerting models. And gaming models actually feel really nicely into that. And you get players out there that pull information in. Things like university police and security organizations, a lot of organizations that are local municipal police areas that are trying to manage their own area. I think about the market, and, and sometimes trying to get to the big guy is really hard. But if you look like Liberty University, in fact, in the state of Virginia, is really active in the areas of crowdsourcing, gaming, threat, and, and I'll call it shooter environments. Think about the market, think about who the buyers are, and I think you will see a different model, and it may be easier to come in under the radar and talk to them, and they've got money to spend in that particular type of, of solution that you're talking about. And, and let's just pull that onion on that for a second. If, if someone has an innovative idea, what should they do? If You'd go to a gear center. Go to a gear center, <laughs> when, when they're up. <laughs> We're, would, a little, we're a little further away. I, I would recommend to try to find a customer who has the least resistance. Many times, I, I, when I was an entrepreneur, I felt like I went to people to people. For example, I'll give you an example. In my first venture, I went to 54 venture capitalists to fund my idea. No one wanted to. So I find, found my first customer getting a cup of coffee in Menlo Park. The guy was behind me. I started to talk about what I'm doing. He's like, I have a small business. I can use this. Can you give it to me for free for three months? That's how it started. So talk and tell people. All right, another question here. Tell me. So my name is Lauren Fishburn. I'm from Cisco. And one of the things that we think about a lot is how do we get individuals to own their idea through the process? Because a lot of times it can feel to an idea owner or to an entrepreneur like they're throwing their idea over the fence to the government. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about um, anything that you've done in your agencies or uh, university uh, or company to promote that, to promote that ownership and... Uh, help the idea owner stay engaged? I think you have two challenges. Are you Cisco, the Cisco California, or Cisco, the food delivery? Okay, but, and it makes a big difference because I, I know the management team on both sides. But, but if you are working for a company, the company owns the IP that you create. Ideally, if you're in the area, you will start to work and you'll find people who are sponsors within your product development teams, and you go to them. If, if, and you may get credit for, especially if it's patentable, and Cisco is really good about that. I know the guys really well. If you come up with some really great ideas and, and you talk to the people out there within that product side, they go, that's really cool. I wonder if this is patentable. They will give you the patent, but they will own the intellectual property. And, and it's something you just have to understand within that structure. And companies within product management groups and R&D groups sponsor various, I'll call it almost town halls, within the product centers to talk about new ideas to either evolve the product or go into next generation. Then they will typically hand it off to the marketing team to do a market sizing analysis, and then they will look at it over time. And the reason I bring that into it, Cisco is really, I'll call it a three-year or five-year window on the, on the de development models, sometimes farther. Intel works at 25 years out. So if you were thinking in those models, you're truly thinking way out there, and the company really sponsors you in those particular areas. 
just as something to think about. So I'm, I'm gonna jump in on this as well, because I, I, my brain has gone in like six different directions since I've heard you speak. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we do with our accelerator, uh, so ideas come in, we actually follow up with all those organizations. We have touch points, and I'm gonna point out my colleague CJ, stand up, wave. Uh, CJ here manages the Bold Line Accelerator for us at the State Department, and she is on regular calls with all the companies who have come through our accelerator and our, our account managers. Government sets up account managers with all of these organizations so that we have some follow-up with them. But what I'm going to ask you to do from like a Cisco perspective is look for opportunities where the government is asking questions and, and looking for innovation research. So you should be regularly on challenge.gov seeing what's out there. And coming back to this question that was asked earlier about app development, come in sideways. You never know. You, 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 might want, you may just want to build those relationships and those partnerships by doing something else and then expanding those relationships. Look for innovation days. Look at what the SBIRs are doing. Try to find a way in that might not be traditional. And there are, and I'm not, this did not come from me, so all, none of you heard it in here, but legislation has a way of getting attention uh, in federal government agencies. So sometimes we have processes that need to be updated, like, I don't know, consular affairs, visa stamping processes. We still send foreign service officers overseas. Every post has foreign service officers who stamp visas. That's their first job as a foreign service officer is two years work in that visa window. Think about what technology could do in that space. I don't know, Cisco, you guys have something called was it telepresence. Um, <laughs> you want to talk about bringing jobs back to the United States? Um, we could have a, a visa center somewhere in the United States that could service multiple posts. Language training could be done for our foreign service officers. They could still be doing their languages, but we don't need to send foreign service officers at $500,000, $600,000 a pop overseas to be stamping visas if it can be worked through a, a telepresence. First, point of entry is a screen that people see as opposed to a person. Austria has McDonald's doing that right now. Right. That's the new thing. <laughs> if you're familiar with the 28 Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act of 2018, it's going it's it has passed and it's requiring all agencies to develop a learning agenda and I think that there's like a taste of evaluation heavily in that and so people might think automatically like oh those learning agendas are meant to be used kind of by the the whole market of evaluation firms but i think that those learning agendas where agencies are asking priority questions about you know long term and short term questions about how to manage their programs or how they're measuring whether or not they're achieving their missions that can be a call to also the private sector um, and you know new technology that they might need or i'm going to spin on that for just one quick second most of the big players, whether it's Cisco, Microsoft, Intel, they have, I'm going to call it not innovation centers, but I'll call it offices or, or centers of the future. And, and they bring people in. They have all sorts of incredible things. And I know when I was on active duty, I used to go and visit them, and I would come out going, holy mackerel, this is really cool. How can we apply this? I, I think you need to take advantage from the government perspective of those technology visible centers that are not looking in the, in the here, they're looking out here someplace, and, and it will spark innovative thoughts. Mm -hmm. and, and that, well, especially at Cisco, I've, I've been to your facilities out there so many times. I ran Global Alliances, and I had SAP, Oracle, Dell, Cisco, well, Dell was my primary, Microsoft, Intel, Salesforce. These people are thinking way out there, and they're looking for people that will say, 
I have this really cool technology. Could you use it? Would you like to pilot it? Think outside the box. It is so cool when you start playing outside the box because these guys are spending, you know, 5% or 10% or 20% of their total R&D budget on next generation stuff that you guys don't even know exist. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller, and today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. My guests on the panel were Amira Boland, who's on detail to OMB to coordinate the implementation of the Customer Experience Cross-Agency Priority Goal and the GEAR Center. Anna-Marie Tannen, the Executive Director of the George Washington University Innovation Center. Jim Thompson, the Director of Private Sector Engagement at the State Department. And Dan Woolley, the founder and managing partner of the Ponderosa Management Group. In this segment of the show, the panelists continue to take audience questions. One of the things that the, the government has a challenge with, and we see this all the time, is this idea of, hey, when you have a challenge.gov and you want to get the word out, get the word out. And, and this is very selfish on my end, but I think that what, what the challenge is, is you want to reach a broader audience. You want to reach some of the folks that are, are we'll call them the usual suspects, but they're doing all this innovative work that if they don't really know what's happening and and so I would encourage Jim and, and Amira specifically to, to do what you can to push more stuff to the press. <laughs> Question. Uh, uh, Avi Bender, Director of NTIS, a federal agency within the government. Um, a common theme that I'm hearing from all of you is uh, conversation and problem statement. Feds usually are the ones creating the problem statement. How can the private sector be better engaged in having that conversation to actually craft problem statements as opposed to addressing problem statements by the government? I'm excited about this question because I think this is, this is the future of procurement. So I, I said I've been involved in government. I've actually been in government for 28 years. Um, I started off my career as a contracting officer. We've all talked about thinking outside the box. Sometimes you just actually have to know the box. The box. Yeah. There's a lot of room in the box. Yeah. Um, having people like people who are trained in procurement um, yeah operating in different environments is actually really helpful. So your question, um, what we've done is started using a co-creation process, which actually is the problem statement. We have a, a challenge out right now. It's, it's actually a, a SOIC, a statement of uh, interest and capacity. We're looking at counterterrorism finance. Um, and we're looking for new ideas about how do we work on counter countering terrorism financing. What we're looking for are great organizations that can help us solve this problem. What we're gonna have them do though is come in, we're gonna select from all the organizations that apply, we're gonna have them come in and then we're gonna sit down with them and co-create their approach to the business problem. So this is government done differently. Then those who were selected and have gone through the co-creation process, then we issue them uh, the RFP or the RF, and in this case it's gonna be a, a NOFO, a notice of federal opportunity, and only those organizations that participated can bid, and then their proposals are really informed better by government, but then our, our thinking has also been informed by them. So our, our solicitation's been informed by them. So it really is a co-creation process. It's a new way of looking at procurement. That, you know, as and a you procurement didn't have to, geek, you didn't have to break anything. Me. I didn't have to break anything. Just, it's not using other transaction authority. Yeah. It's just a different way of approaching the problem mm -hmm. set. Hi, uh, thank you guys for all your comments. They're, uh, oh, by the way, I'm Jackie Everett with Lidos. They're really, I've got a thousand things and we only have a few minutes. So 
I'm, you know, I think of innovation on multi-tiers, right? And we've been talking a lot, I, I hear technology innovations, right? But there's process innovations, there's how we do work innovations, right? There's business models, like the gear's looking at, right? And Canada and the UK and everybody else have, and New Zealand have done those models, right? Mm -hmm. But behind all those models are some financial aspects that we in America look at as corporations, right? As to how do we, it's like what Don was talking, how do I scale and how do we do these things? So when I, when I look across the stuff, I think, you know, the, the, the problem statement is can we work differently and can we implement this legislation in a way to take advantage of the stuff that's out there today just to make it quicker, faster, safer, easier, whatever we're trying to do. I don't know that problem statement, but I see a lot of great innovation, but I feel like we're in the weeds and we're down at all these little places in the forest instead of the forest as a whole as to what is our government going to be like 5 to 10 to 15 years from now. What do the employees look like and how do we serve the citizens in a digital format so that I have a, like an Amazon retail experience? I tell my staff this all the time, they get tired of hearing it, but that is how I want to interface with the government because that's how I interface everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in your comments on that. I think you you nailed it. I mean, that you, you described the, the problem statement of the Gear Center of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to convene. And you're absolutely right. People expect, this kind of speaks to the customer experience piece of this, but people expect their government and their interactions with their government to look like all their other interactions with entities. And so um, we need to be better at thinking about that. And because, you know, we're thinking siloed within the agency itself, you know, we're thinking about like the CIO shop and we're thinking about the program office and we're thinking about HR, we're not actually thinking about how is our backstage process um, affecting our customer experience and you know people experience life events not federal agencies so you know an international traveler doesn't care that you know DHS does global entry and that the State Department gives them their passport they want to go abroad and then go through a CBP checkpoint faster um, and so that's we're trying to convene agencies to be thinking about together <laughs> how are we planning for how are we delivering our services for an experience that someone has not you know the way our statutory mission is written how many people are doing uh, customer experience in government not as many as same as innovation maybe yeah. <laughs> so this is a problem we're, we're yeah. not really thinking this way we yeah. need to actually start thinking differently about the way the private sector works that's all the time we have for today You've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I played excerpts from a panel I moderated at the ACT-IAC Igniting Innovation Conference. My guests on the panel were Amira Boland, who's on detail to OMB to coordinate the implementation of the customer service cross-agency priority goal and the GEAR Center, Anna-Marie Tannen, the executive director of the George Washington University Innovation Center, Jim Thompson, the director of private sector engagement at the State Department, and Dan Woolley, the founder and managing partner of the Ponderosa Management Group. You can find all the past episodes of Ask the CIO on askthecio.com or subscribe on Apple iTunes or Podcast One. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, sponsored by Fortinet. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.